Hi, my name is Michelle Egger, and Femtech to me is using technology to invest in women so that they can help invest in others and enable the entire world to thrive. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto. In today's episode, I interview Michelle Egger, co-founder and CEO of BioMilk. BioMilk is a woman-owned, science-led, and mother-centered startup. They're creating human breast milk in the laboratory that will hopefully one day replace formula for babies. How the heck are they producing human milk in a lab? We'll check this out. The production of milk within the mammary gland is an elegantly orchestrated process that converts food from the mother's environment into food for her young. Despite the dramatic differences in scale, the physiology that underlies the process of milk production is remarkably consistent. During pregnancy, milk-making cells, which are called your mammary epithelial cells, multiply in numbers dramatically in preparation for lactation. When the baby is born, shifts in the mother's blood chemistry trigger the onset of milk production. So Michelle and her team are harnessing this cellular understanding of mammary cells, cell culturing them, and putting them to work in the lab to try and create human breast milk in the lab so that babies don't have to use formula as the alternative to their own mother's breast milk. Super, super, super cool episode. You're going to love it. Hey, Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me today. I am very excited to have you on. I first came across uh, your company a year ago at the Rice Business Plan Competition, which is, what do they call it? The richest business plan competition in the world. Or they, Something they ridiculous like that. Like, yeah. There's a lot of money given out. And um, I remember like three years ago, I was a startup competing. And then two years ago, I was like an attendee. Last year, I was a judge. And I saw your company and I was like, Ben, check. So really cool. It's actually been like almost one year. Yeah. Yeah. We've been, we've been at it for about 18 months now. So we celebrated our one year birthday and put out some posts that we're not an infant anymore. We're, we're moving on into the toddler phase here. God, I love jokes like that. You know, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I used to own a DNA based dating app. And so like all my jokes were around like dating and marriage and courtship and which got kind of weird with investors and I actually regretted it, but whatever. Um, and then, <laughs> <laughs> but now it's all about like vulvas and pleasure. And so it's a lot more fun. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I would love to kick off our interview as we do all of our episodes, uh, talking about your background. Um, a lot of us didn't major in femtech, right? Like somehow we ended up here. So where are you from? What did you study? Did you have a career before this? And how did you end up here? Yeah. So, um, 
I've always had two core passions in life and one was feeding people, uh, genuinely feeding people. I've loved to cook. I, like the way I show love is 100% through food. Um, and the other was finding ways to help others. And that evolved as I got older and older into how do I use technology to help others? My mom was an environmental chemist um, and my da dad ran our family furniture, office furniture business, very glamorous. Um, and, you know, my mom, I remember distinctly as a little kid asking like, why is the sky blue? And my mom explaining light diffraction and like why it changes color through different times of day and density. And my dad turning and being like, it doesn't matter as long as you can explain it to somebody else, Michelle. And I think it's just such a like quintessential moment of kind of like the way I am who I am and having a strong female scientific presence in my life that ended up creating me ending up in food science and also my sister who's a PhD um, plant biologist. Uh, and I think unsurprising to anyone looking on how my, how my mom ended up with the two of us, but um, you know, taking that core passion of cooking, of loving food, food science was a natural fit for me. So I, I attended Purdue um, out in cornfields, middle of nowhere, but loved every minute of it, really being able to think about how do we leverage technology to change the way we feed humanity. And um, through a variety of experiences in school really came around to that um, dairy and, and dairy products, cow-based, bovine-based products, not human up until this point in my career, um, had, a, had a huge amount of impact on the planet, both good and bad. I mean, huge nutritional benefits, um, huge planetary boundary issues, and uh, ended up joining General Mills back on the home team out of Minneapolis where I'd grown up, um, focused on dairy fermentation commercialization. So I like to say everything from uh, making a strawberry yogurt taste like fresh strawberries instead of candied strawberries, all the way to you know novel exopolysaccharide production, um, strain selection, huge equipment design installation, which I loved, but uh, got to a point where I, I needed more impact like nobody really needs another strawberry yogurt in this world I think I think we'll all survive with the ones we have like after gogurt man I was like I don't know about this innovation I know well and, and I got to work on gogurt actually that was one of my product categories and like do we really need another strawberry gogurt I feel like one version of it's probably adequate um, but it became clear to me, you know, I got to do a lot of pro bono consulting with small and growing dairy companies in Ethiopia, a lot of them female owned and operated and got to think about like technologically, how do we leapfrog the way we do food production here in the West versus how we're going to feed people in the rest of the world. And rather than trying to kind of force these antiquated production methods and expectations, how do we think about what the future of manufacturing food is going to be? Uh, and so I quit my cushy day job to everyone's horrifying <laughs> uh, notes in the world of my entire family being like, you're going to leave us and leave your corporate delightful job to go to school. And the answer was yes. Uh -huh. And I came to Duke for my MBA in social impact and entrepreneurship and global food systems change and never look back. Oh my gosh. What was the degree? The MBA specialized in what? Social impact and entrepreneurship. Um, and then I specifically was looking at global food systems change. So I like to say we're never going to get food companies to really do good 100% of the time, but it should be table stakes that we do no harm. Whoa, so freaking cool. So yeah, oh my God, I'm just like, yeah, all of it. Yes. Yeah. So you go to school and yep. you're like, I'm going to do good. I'm going to do good through business, like innovation, like impact, all of the stuff. Where does biomilk come into play? Yeah. So um, everyone else on their summer internships went off to work for Bain or McKinsey or Goldman Sachs and make a bunch of money. And I went to Seattle to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So I spent a summer with them in their private sector partnerships team for nutrition, looking at alternative protein sources that we could create supply chains in highly stunted regions of the world. And 
that's where I was introduced to the first 1000 days of life. I'm not a mom. I've never breastfed. I don't have any kids. I'm not even one of those women that like looks at cute baby photos on Instagram. Like I'm, I'm really not like really big into kids, which is weird to say aloud as a founder of, of an infant company. But um, for me, it was like the ultimate fundamental leverage point for humanity to think about infant formula, to think about infant nutrition as that first 1000 days of life sets the course and trajectory of your cognitive development, your musculoskeletal development, um, your nutritional and immunological development. And then we start to think about it when you're like a school kid of like, oh man, you seem undernourished. Maybe we should work on that. Instead of asking like, how do we prevent babies from being born stunted? How do we prevent infants from being undernourished or overnourished? And um, I came out of that experience thinking like this infant nutrition industry deserves to be disrupted. How does someone do this? And became weirdly obsessed again to my parents' horror and frustration. I think of like, I'm sorry, now you're obsessed with babies. Who are you? Um, <laughs> And was mutually introduced to a friend through a friend to Layla, who had been working on milk outside of the body since 2013. And I, I was literally given the intro of, um, do you want to meet this crazy woman making milk outside the body? Which like anyone ever gives you an intro like that, always accept, always accept, uh, you know, it's going to be great. And it was clear, you know, she had been working on this technology, a, a mom herself had struggled with breastfeeding, cell biologist, um, OG entrepreneur would go get like warm udders out of a slaughterhouse and dissect tissue and take it back to her lab and grow them up. And um, we were kind of a match made in heaven and founded Biomilk and operated a proof of concept experiment and raised a $3.5 million round a couple months later. Dude, hell yeah. Um, and I would love to talk about fundraising a little bit with you if you, if you don't mind, but let's uh, first, the scientist in me is like, tell me more. I'm wearing my steminist sweatshirt yeah. today. You know, I'm like science, science. So <laughs> um, what is, what is biomilk? What do you yes. milk outside the body? What are you talking about? What is it? Yeah. So um, in the human body, human mammary epithelial cells make 2,500 plus components simultaneously of breast milk. So they are an epithelial cell type, which means they like um, to form layers. So like on the, in the body, for instance, if you think of your skin, that's also an epithelial cell. In this case, they form the layer of tissue inside the mammary gland. And so they line the mammary gland and um, essentially know their tops from their bottoms, are able to zipper in super tightly and create this monolayer where they turn on their biosynthetic pathways pull in nutrients from their bottoms and secrete it out the top, never intermixing the two, which is how you don't get blood in your milk, for instance, if you're a mom who's breastfeeding. And for us, it means we basically harness that technology to do that outside of the body where we give them a construct where they can grow and be stimulated to have media on one side, pull in nutrients and secrete milk out the other, creating a sterile, full form, full constellation milk product. Holy crap. All right, let me like break that down for our listeners and let me know if I'm wrong. You essentially took what produces milk from inside the breast, which is a layer of special cells that can say, okay, my humans, my hosts blood is running on one side and it has nutrition and antibodies and stuff in it. And these cells sense it, they pull it. I don't know if they pull it or they absorb it, whatever. That doesn't necessarily matter. I don't think in terms of the, it goes through into yep. the other side and the other side is the milk side. And you essentially took that and you put it in a laboratory, kind of like a synthetic breast in a plate. And you could, I'm assuming, put whatever nutrients you want on the one side. And when you said, um, you know, media, that's what we use in the laboratory to kind of like 
fake human bodies in a lab, right? <laughs> yep. And I'm assuming you put whatever you want on that side in order to create a concentrated whatever kind of milk on the other side. That's yep. all. Oh my God. Yeah. And it's, right. you know, it's interesting because when you think about the human body, there's so many things we don't get to control as women, right? Like our diets have a huge impact on the milk we produce, our stress levels, our, our hormones, our environmental stimuli. We actually get the benefit of like, we get to be perfect shepherds for these cells where, you know, we can feed them exactly what we want, what they need. Um, we can stimulate in exactly the right way. We can even consider popping in and out genes that they don't need. So like in the human body, for instance, cells have a circadian rhythm so that they don't produce milk all the time because moms, you know, like need some sleep or something. Um, our bioreactors don't have to sleep. So we get to really oh think about God. ways that we can upregulate milk synthesis so that you really, you get as much milk as possible out of the cells for the least amount of input um, versus in the human body. You know, if you tried to feed a child exclusive breastfeeding uh, for the first six months of life, you're talking about 11 hours of your day, you're likely pumping or feeding a child. And we can now, um, support parents who breastfeeding is really challenging for or doesn't fit into their modern reality and think about having the equivalent nutritional value of breast milk, but not having to necessarily create it themselves. Holy moly guacamole. This is like so cool. I can't wait to come to your lab, by the way. Um, <laughs> we have to do Instagram live or something because I'm super <laughs> excited about this. We have a pretty sick plant wall. Everyone's always like, I want to see the bioreactors. I'm like, no, you don't look how great this plant wall is. Come look at it. So I'm excited I'm so for glad. everyone to take photos of the plant wall. <laughs> um, a few other like scientific nerdy questions I have whose cells are you using? Are you using like the mom cells or you have like a cell line that's like derived from long time ago or something? Both. Okay. <laughs> um, so we can do custom breast milk, uh, male or female, the gender, the cells actually doesn't matter. So we're here to talk about femtech today. So we'll focus on women, but um, we can take cells from any human and, or any mammal really, and produce yeah. their milk customly. Um, and we also do cell lines. So, you know, we're using explant um, medical waste with permission to be able to, to create cell lines. We're using commercially available cell lines for some of our testing. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because when you think about you know, when you, when you think about femtech as a sector, right? Like basically the only thing we know about breasts is they're ornamental or they have cancer. Um, and we like, don't go any deeper than that, more or less. And so for us, it's a really interesting and challenging world when you start to think about understanding cellular function, because basically all the research we've sponsored has been super, super focused on breast cancer yep. or breast augmentation. And, yep. and for us, you know, we're looking at the actual like biological synthetic pathways of the cells and what the levers are to be able to pull within them so that they can do the heavy lifting to produce yeah. the milk composition we want. And that starts to get very, um, very deep tech very quickly and like blows a lot of investors minds when it's like, well, we know a lot about breast cells and I'm like, yeah, but only to have explosive cancerous growth, not actually what they do in the body, which is to produce milk and support all mammalian right. life on the planet, you know, minor, minor use for them. You know, that is a common theme in femtech where we all say, oh, we all know cervical fluid is important for fertility, but actually no one studied it. Or, oh yeah, we all know like cervix, you know, it dilates when you give baby, but actually we only measured it in the study in like the seventies. And we still use that as like the standard dilation you know, for all women of all colors of all ages and every developing, like, oh my God. So yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that, yeah, we have all of these research on breast tissue and breasts in general, but it's all about because like you have malignant tumors growing out of it, not necessarily about like, how do boobies work? You know, like <laughs> how do they work? 
um oh my gosh oh my gosh okay last question as I like try to imagine it in my mind so I've worked in labs where we you know grew up cells my dog's name is Tripson he trips and I cells right so you can appreciate that but when I imagine like there's milk coming out one side are your cells like vertical or are they laying horizontal and like the milk forms a layer on top um the easiest way to describe it is as our our system is basically a tube of tubes to maximize surface area. So surface mm-hmm. to volume ratio. So it doesn't really matter whether they're vertical or horizontal. It's more about thinking of like intracapillary versus extracapillary space. Um, and so for us, like, you know, when we think about scaling up, right. And, and pulling, you know, a lot of our technology is pulled pretty clearly from biologics production. So pharma production. Yeah. Um, and when we think about scaling to a level where it's a price point that parents can actually afford, uh, it's less about like the physical confirmation of it and much more about like, how can you maximize to the amount of input in to the amount of output you get? And that has much more to do with the actual like biophysical spacing rather than orientation. Oh my gosh. I'm like, I'm so blown away. This is seriously the coolest thing ever. So, um, who uses this? I mean, besides it being like the coolest thing ever, <laughs> like, why and how would somebody use this? Is this like for the everyday mom who's struggling to breastfeed that she can like, like, does she hire you to do this? Like, tell me about like your business in terms of like being more than just research and super dope. Yeah. So 84% of moms in the U.S. today use infant formula in the first six months of life with their children, mm-hmm. uh, whether partially or exclusively. And most common conventional scientific wisdom at this point and clinician wisdom says that the first six months of life, you really should be exclusively breastfed. No water, no solids, no cow's milk, nothing, just human breast milk. And um, the reality is that breastfeeding is effing hard. (laughs) Like it's just really, really hard for a lot of parents. It's a really beautiful experience. And for a lot of parents, it's really challenging or even medically impossible. And so when we add like the daily stressors, we add the business environment and lack of parental support. When we take a look at just the changing kind of understanding of the female body, there's a lot of reasons that women have an incredible time trying to breastfeed and um, that they have to turn to infant formula, which then they're shame and ashamed and stigmatized for utilizing because it's an inferior choice that they've chosen for their children, whether or not they really got to choose. It was just the only alternate they had. And so we really think about our product as, as truly accessible for everyone who um, wants to get as close to the nutritional equivalent value of human breast milk as they can, but can't exclusively breastfeed. And, and so we're always very clear to say, like, we don't want to replace breastfeeding. There's so many benefits to mom's body, um, both physically and from a bonding capacity. There is a lot of immunological value that we are not going to replicate, but it's incredibly important that it comes from mom if it can. Um, but exclusive breastfeeding is a, is a really tumultuous journey for a lot of parents. And so we see, uh, see ourselves as another option, another support that maybe helps you even breastfeed longer. If you have another alternate that you don't have to wean your child immediately to formula for, um, and really gives parents peace of mind around that you are doing the best you can with the choices you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we don't, we don't formula shame. We don't stigmatize any choices parents have. We just the reality is this space has been underinvested in and um, under innovated in, and it's long overdue. So we're just going to bypass all of that, like onesie twosie crap that everybody else would try to do to make things a little bit better. Like 
adding one human milk oligosaccharide to cow, cow's based <laughs> infant formula. And it's like, cool, cool, cool. There's 300 that come out of the body. Like, can we work on just getting to 300 instead of wasting our time on one? Whoa. And so, um, again, like, can people already use this? Or are you still in R and D? So we're still very much in R and D. Um, okay. And we will be going through very rigorous clinical approval, FDA approval. Um, we are in the wild, wild west a bit because we hmm. don't look like any other products for infants today, which is why That's we're so okay. revolutionary. Yep. It, it's a good problem to have, but it definitely means, you know, as we look ahead to collaborating with other scientific bodies and regulators and governments and groups, it's really important that we're all united. Like we all agree on the same outcomes. We just have to figure out the right path forward. So I, I, um, as a scientist trained to my core, I'm always conservative and saying, you know, 18 months, very comfortably, we'd have an MVP that product could be tried from, but we won't be in the market for three to four years because, uh, other than COVID, I've never seen the FDA move quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth? And, um, so breast milk, is it considered synthetic breast milk? Is that um, so we use the term cultured breast milk. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's like not fake. It's real, but it's, also it's real. Like, it's made by the same yeah. cells. Um, yeah. But, you know, we're very clear to say like, we're aiming for nutritional equivalency, not immunological equivalency. So, you know, we're, we're not aiming to um, confer immunity. You know, there's a lot of discussion of like COVID antibodies and breast milk. Like I'm, I'm not putting COVID antibodies in this product, you know, like I'm, <laughs> I, I personally believe we know like the teensiest amount about the microbiome in the human body and even less as it pertains to the microbiome transferred through breast milk to babies. Yeah. Um, and I'm not God. So I am going to control what I understand and what scientifically we know today. And in the future, we'd love to talk about evolutionarily, like where, where do we go next? Yeah. But we're very clear on like the microbiome is incredibly important. And even if we can be the appropriate prebiotic, of you know oligosaccharides in place to be able to populate the a healthy gut of an infant like that is heads and shoulders above where we are today with cow's milk so like that is the bare minimum and we're going to start there and work our way up mm -hmm. um i love talking about accessibility uh my sister um had a baby in november and bless her because now i use her all the time as an example so she had a baby and um i was up there for the birth of my nephew and her breasts were as hard as rocks and she was crying and i mean oh my god i mean the total a total like new mindset for me in terms of like how hard this all is right and so she is she is using formula and um I went out to get some formula and it's freaking expensive like yeah. really freaking expensive and I was like oh my god where do you think biomilk is going to land on this is this going to be like a super privileged product that like super affluent white women can have some like robot yeah, you know, <laughs> make her milk. Yeah. yeah, make her milk for her. You know, or do you see this? Um, and I totally understand in terms of like you have to scale and then like prices and blah blah blah. But like, do y'all have a plan for this being potentially even cheaper than formula at any point? Um, so this is the question that honestly keeps me up at night. Investors are always like, "What's your hardest question?" And they want me to be like, "I just need to figure out exactly how to scale to this," or "I want to talk to this customer." And I'm like, "Screw all of that." What stresses me out is like we might be able to differentially feed um, a child in rural Bangladesh that could be a future innovator and create a new technology by having our product instead of infant formula. And like, who am I to think about that I 
have a business model to support that's supposed to like work with developed, you know, coastal moms in the US and the EU um, when like that leverage point for human change is so much greater in other parts of the world. And so I have no answers today. And I'm always very clear on like, we do not know how we're going to be cost competitive um, or especially be able to undercut cost. But it is absolutely top of mind and first thought for us of like, how do we think about building a model in which we're working through healthcare accessibility pipelines, which is always a challenge, but is really important for something like this. How do we think about working with governments and aid agencies to get into countries faster than we might be able to build a business model to start? And then how do we think about tiered pricing and systems in which we can have moms help moms? I mean, I, I, we get probably 15 or 20 reach outs a day of women being like, can I give you money? Can I help you? Can I send you milk? Like what, what can I do to support you? Because I know what a challenging problem this is. And it's a problem that crosses all country boundaries. It's everywhere in the world. And so uh, access is one of the like hardest things for us to solve. And all I can say is uh, having been in and around many companies, if access is on top of mind, you're never going to get to it. So we always put everything through the lens of like, based on this decision we're making, what is the ramification? Are we okay with that trade-off today or not? Okay, yes, no, next. Um, because you you can't suddenly decide to become accessible. <laughs> yeah, no, well, I love that answer. And it's, I mean, I even prefaced it in my question, right? Hey, I understand scaling business models, right? Like it's usually the first few years not accessible, right? But as long as for me, it's always like, well, how do you think about it from the beginning, right? And make it part of the plan. <laughs> Um, you said that you fundraised, uh, you raised a pretty good sized round. Um, you know, I have femtech founders all the time asking me about fundraising and, you know, I'm get asked by the Frost and Sullivan's of the world. What do you think about fundraising and femtech? What needs to change? Is it working? Is it not working? Da, da, da. And I have all of these answers, but I love it when I meet someone who did it. And so, um, could you say a word or two about like, what was, Fundraising is never easy, by the way. I also want to say that some people are like, is it harder? And I'm like, by the way, if you anyone thinks fundraising is easy, like you're smoking crack because it's not easy. I don't care what industry you're in, it's not easy. So um, could, if you could though say, was, was there like, do you think because you were doing breast milk versus like vaginal hygiene, like male investors were a little bit more um, comfortable talking about it. Are all your investors women or are they all men? Like, can you just tell me a little bit about your experience with pitching this? And did you get crazy questions where they were like, wait, breasts make milk? Like they weren't born with it? Or I don't know, like maybe some crazy questions like that. Uh, yes, on crazy questions. I literally had a meeting, Layla and I, that we were both on where we had an investor be like, well, a substitute good would be a wet nurse, right? And I, I like, stopped and had to be like, did you just say wet nurse? <laughs> like, like I like facade broke down where I was like, you did not just ask that question. And like, you could tell he was a momentarily uncomfortable and kind of like chuckled like, oh, maybe that was a bad question. And it was like, let me tell you all the reasons why a wet nurse one is not like a real thing in most of the world anymore, because like you don't hire a woman and separate her from her child to feed your child. Cause like, that's not cool. Uh, and two, well, that's not at all a complimentary or substitute good. Um, so yeah, you get some like crazy questions that you're like, wow, uh, how out of touch are we folks? But, um, you know, I think like to your question of, was it easier talking about breast milk than about, you know, vaginal sterility, right? Like, yes. I mean, the answer is yes. Like I think more and more 
men especially have exposure as they get into their 20s, 30s, 40s to women who have breastfed, whether it's their partner or friends and family. Mm-hmm. Um, and often people have someone in their network who they know something about a struggle that they had with breastfeeding. Um, and so I would say like, it was surprisingly easy how we were able to get traction on that this was a problem. Sometimes it was harder to explain why it was a problem that um, had to be innovated in this way. I think like there's a lot of questions of like, well, can't you just make formula better? Or like, can't you just support um, parental leave policies? And it's like, this is such a multifaceted problem that also comes back to just a, a woman's body and a woman's choice to some extent that like, yeah, I mean, there are these other ways you could maybe think about a, a an easier, lower hanging fruit solution, but that's not why we're here. We're trying to innovate for the future of infant feeding. And that means we have to be a little more fearless in moving ahead on technologies that feel a little further out, but like is the right way to push to really understand how to get products that are going to be higher quality. Um, that being said though, I mean, I think like people always ask like, well, was it strange talking about breasts in every meeting with a bunch of tech bros and hoodies? No, um, I don't think Layla and I are particularly feminine women and didn't feel our femininity at every moment. Um, we did joke about that frequently. We would say like line the mammary gland and make like a motion with our hands like over our breasts and had to like both teach each other to stop doing that because it was kind of weird once we both realized we'd be like, oh, they line the mammary gland and had to be like, that's gross. You need to stop that shit. Um, but other than that, I mean, we, I think in general, we got really lucky that there has been kind of a reckoning in the last few years about talking about breastfeeding, breast milk. Um, there has been some now additional funding support that there hadn't been for a very long time in academia in this space. Um, and so we, we got to kind of harness some of the, the moment that we were in um, and, and use it for good um, and didn't have to worry as much about like is it weird that we're talking about boobs or making jokes about our system being a double D or, you know, like, I don't think it wasn't, it wasn't as bad maybe as some of the other harder products to pitch. Did you raise from angels or VC or both? Both. Um, So Breakthrough Energy Ventures led our round. um, And then we had uh, Blue Horizon Ventures as well. And then two angels who are fabulous partners. Um, But yeah, we, you know, in terms of fundraising and just like difficulty and, um, one of the things we're doing now is we're looking ahead to like the next raise, uh, is we've actually created partnership criteria. We were tired of being approached by people that it was like, you're not going to be a good partner. And I don't want to have to explain to you why. Um, so we, uh, have started to, to mandate three things. If everybody else gets to have a mandate, I get to have a mandate, um, which is we need to see female representation at, uh, like highest level in your fund. And like, I'm not going to tell you one, I'm not going to tell you two, I'm not going to tell you five, but like, if there's not a woman who's a partner at your fund, I don't want to talk to you. Um, if you don't have at least 10%, 10% of your portfolio needs to be women founders or like disadvantaged founders of some kind or support marketplaces that are specifically aimed at women or different diverse communities. Because like, I don't want to show up at portfolio meetings and have everyone be talking about their SaaS product. Like I am not interested. Um, and so really making sure that like, if you're going to supposedly have this network effect of portfolio companies and have something in common that you learn things. Yeah. Like I, I don't want to do that education for you as the token female company. Uh, and then the third is that you have to have, right. Yeah. Like the boob joke group. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not doing that. Um, and then the third was that you have to have it in your mandate 
um, that you have some kind of impact metric tracking for either sustainability, women's health, or infant nutrition. So we're like, we'll give you an out. If you care more about the plant than people, that's cool. That's okay. Well, we can, we can hang, but like, we want you to be really clear on why you work with us. And um, we, I've actually had to like now, actually today on a call, I had to be like, just as a last note, these are our three partnership criteria. Are there any of them you don't fit? And I was talking to a, an associate at a firm that didn't have any female uh, leadership. Yeah. And she was like, we do not fit your criteria. I'm really sorry. I assume that means we can't continue. And I was like, yeah, I don't think it's a good fit then. Um, but I suggest you go back and talk to your LPs about the fact that like, yeah. you down. and she was like, I'm going to do that. I'll let you know how the conversation goes. Oh, oh my God. Yes. I love that so much because, you know, I worked at a venture fund and I was a, an associate and then I got, um, promoted to senior venture associate. And I was in charge of an entire city within a state that we funded. And, uh, that promotion did not come with any money increase by the way. And, um, <laughs> I mean, I was a manager of an entire city and, you know, the, there was, it's three white dudes in charge of the fund. And like, regardless of how many times we talked about, like, you know, we need to diversify, we need to like this or that, like they would put on a hundred K challenge for a pitch competition, you know, for like black founders or whatever, or women in tech. And like, that was really nice. But at the end of the day, it was like, but no, 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 we're talking about internally. <laughs> You know, like these are really great campaigns outwards, but like, but on the inside, like this is still very much the issue. Like the associates aren't benefiting. Like I started to realize all the companies I was recruiting and investing in, I led seven investments. Like I wasn't getting any carry on that, you know, like, so it was like, I'm just making you richer. I think actually, you know, like, um, I validated it to myself because it was the cheapest MBA I could have got because even though I was underpaid, (laughs) I was still being paid, you know, versus paying somebody else. Uh, so I just framed it in my mind like that, you know, and was like, learn as much as I can and then start femtech focus. But, uh, um, oh my gosh, I freaking love that mandate. I let's talk more about that. Let's like publish it and make all femtech founders do that or something I, like that. I'm you know? serious. And and I think like there's there's something about as companies start to come to us and they especially as they've now added to their mandate of like, oh well, we need to have 10% of our portfolio be represented by female or diverse founders. Like them internally are already starting to have these conversations. Then it's it's us being able to hold accountable and say like if you all want to have me bring diversity of thought or product or, or diversification of portfolio, if you want to talk in just pure dollars, you think women are a huge opportunity marketplace and you want to make money off of supplying female-focused products, then you need to support the world that I want to see. And like, I'm not going to support you if you're not going to support that. You are so amazing. You're so amazing. We're going to be friends. You're amazing. I'm just, um, I'm just feisty. It's, it's okay, not okay. even amazing at this point. I'm just so tired of everyone that I'm like, I'm not dealing with your crap. Do it the way I want, or I'll find somebody else who will, which I was talking to my father over the weekend. He was like, you're treading on thin ice, Michelle, like <laughs> treading on thin ice. And I was like, I know, dad, I know. <laughs> oh my God. I love it so much. I, I love it so much. We are running out of time and we have two questions left that our listeners love. And I also love the first one is we have a lot of aspiring femtech founders that listen that are in grad school or university, or they're just at a corporate job and they're like, F this, I want to go into femtech. What's an area in women's health and wellness that still needs innovating? Besides all of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
you got it right. Yes. I think one of the areas that's been fascinating for me is just lack of postpartum support. You know, obviously we kind of fit in there, but we're also a bit tangential. And it's been really interesting to see just how much money and time and energy goes into preparing a mom to give birth. And then it's like, great, good luck. See you later. And like, Every interview we do, a mom's like, nobody told me how painful breastfeeding was going to be. Nobody told me how hard it was going to be. Everybody said, oh, you'll just find a lactation consultant. And like, why didn't anybody warn me that I was going to need to do that or spend money on that? And I think, you know, there's a lot of pinpoint solutions. People are trying to get better access and exposure, but just like generally investing in the entire postpartum journey for a mom, um, it's a, it's a huge life change overhaul physically and emotionally. And we just don't create products or society around supporting new moms. We always want to talk about the cute new baby, not the new mom on that side of the equation. Yep. We uh, just did an interview with uh, the founder of Robin, which is kind of a parenthood, um, you know, marketplace. And in our interview, we talked about parent birth instead of just childbirth because the birth of the parent actually happens. And that was the first time I actually even learned about, um, you know, the baby has a three-day checkup. The woman has like a six-week checkup. This bitch got stitches up in her hoo-ha, okay? And she don't get a visit for six weeks. Yeah, yeah. Or like you go to your OBGYN and they can't help you with your infant questions. And then vice versa, you go to your pediatrician and they can't help you with like, why is this two different functions? Why are these two different doctors? Like, I don't know if you're linked inextricably for the rest of your life, you've made a decision that there's a little being that is always yours. Why have we not created a system where they are with you for everything? It is ridiculous. I just, I like everyone is always like, are you excited to have kids? And I'm like, I already have parenthood PTSD because all I do is worry about parents' problems and like stress myself out. And like my poor partner of of eight years, he's over here just like, can can we wait until you're like done with biomilk? Because like, I don't, I don't think you can do both. You're going to be just too much. You are so funny because that's what I say all the time. I'm like, femtech focus has kind of ruined me. I know it happens to the pelvic floor. Let me tell you. I know what <laughs> Okay. All I know is that there's lots of babies that could use my motherly love that are already out of a vagina. You know, like I don't need to like stretch mine out. Um, so any I you and I, man, seriously, like, yeah, I'm PT I'm a parent of PTSD for real. Um, and our last question is, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? Um, I kind of worry about us just labeling it as femtech. So I, I, like, I appreciate the trying to bring notice to um, technologies that predominantly affect women, but it, it also very much puts it on a shelf. And so when you even think about doing comps, you think about looking at other deals that are happening, it very much becomes its own little like world where you can still devalue it because it's femtech. And so as much as possible, you know, we, we actually, most of our funders funded us because of the sustainability aspect of our message. Uh, We look at broader healthcare implications, healthcare system implications. And so like femtech as a mantle is great for rallying internally. I worry it actually is used as a tool against us sometimes when we get really pigeonholed. And so, you know, we're lucky that we're kind of on a fringe of like food as medicine, consumer product, we get to flow, but like vaginal health, if you're called femtech, now you're very tightly squared in one market with one valuation with one potential market, when um, I think we should be more broad thinking about the implications for society of some of these technologies that happen to be for women, but have long ranging positive benefits outside of female people. Seriously, you, 
I don't know what Kool-Aid you drink, but I drank from the same bowl because <laughs> like I'm totally there with you. So we're actually starting a, um, a venture fund and we're in a VC lab, which is a founder institute. It's an accelerator for emerging managers and it's only their third cohort. And I'm in it with uh, my partner, Jessica Carr, and we, our name is not Femtech Fund, even though that's what we're investing in. We're called currently the name. We don't know if we're going to stick with it, but it's Coyote Ventures. Why are we not just calling it Femtech Fund? Well, because the industry is still so nascent and like there's like this pigeonholed thing where people are like, oh, female founder or, well, you know, and so we're like, fuck it. We're just going to come up with some other name, Coyote Ventures, you know, like not to like not even let that not, we don't, I always tell founders, do whatever you can to just at least get in the room. Don't do or say anything that's going to let them not respond to your email or not let you in the room. You got to get in the room first, right? And so if that means you don't identify as femtech, girl, I don't care. Go get the money. Go get the money. You know, like it doesn't matter. And um, uh, so I totally agree with you. The one thing I will say is that Femtech Focus is doing a lot of research on market sizes and exits. So, you know, I... I'm so tired of people saying like, well, once Femtech has an exit, it'll be recognized. To date, we have a database of 46 Femtech exits, and we're about to publish some articles on the <laughs> return on investment. The average exit value of a Femtech company in the last 20 years is $500 million. Yeah. And the average tech exit is like $210 million. So we are statistically significantly more successful at making you rich than any other industry actually. And so um, I think that as our reports come out and as we, you know, um, we have a summit coming up and, you know, where I'm going to be publicizing the graphs and all the infographics, but it's going to be a while for everyone to finally get the news right in their inbox. But um, totally, I, I can see, you know, founders, if you're listening, if using the word femtech closes the door in your face, say you're something else. I don't care. Yeah. And, and we think about, you know, like for us too, it's, it's good business to invest in female founders, to invest in diverse founders, to invest in disadvantaged founders. They make better, stronger, more resilient businesses. So like, we've got to stop making it that it's this like charity case that like, oh, I invest in femtech too, to like support women. And it's like, no, F that. It's a huge marketplace with a lot of potential with awesome founders in it. And so if like the mantle of femtech is like, is creating friction because people feel like they're doing you a favor, don't use it. That's kind of the way I feel about femtech these 100%. days. 100%. People say, why do you love femtech? I said three reasons. Very science driven. The nerd in me loves it. Two, it's an activist move or fighting for women's health equality. And three, one of my life goals is to be rich, bitch. Like, like a really great investment opportunity, you know, like that's awesome. Being a martyr, I started a nonprofit for like tax purposes because I started have a podcast, you know, like we're also starting a venture fund. So um, get with it. Um, you're amazing. This is amazing. I cannot wait to see where Biomilk goes next. Um, I'm so glad you are in my neck of the area. Let's hang out. And um, thanks so much for your time today. Absolutely. It was wonderful to be here. And I'll look forward to seeing all of the great companies your fund's going to work on and help bring into the world next. Thank you for listening to my interview with Michelle Egger, co-founder and CEO of Biomilk. What a fascinating company. I actually visited their lab last week in Durham, North Carolina. 
Get your vaccine, y'all. It's so great to go out in public. It's a really, really impressive facility, and I had a great time with Michelle. It Definitely check out their work. You can check it out at biomilk.com. That's biomilk with a Q instead of a K. Alrighty, Fem fans, please join our virtual community. You can do that through our homepage at femtechfocus.org. When you're a member of that community, you'll be in the know about all of our events. We have Monday night listening parties. We have Wednesday Femtech Fundamental webinars for founders. We have monthly book club. This week, actually, we have the author of Doing Harm coming to our book club to talk about her book. So join our community. Find out what's going down. You can even become a FemPro member for only $10 a month, and you get recordings to all the previous summits and Femtech Fundamental webinars. So that's what you need to do right now. Go join our virtual community and become a FemPro member. Okay, Fem fans, until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness proves everyone's health and wellness.